Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4098 of the Bugle. It is the 22nd of February, 2019, and I, in London, am Andy Zaltzman, and I am as sure of that as I can be of anything in this age of doubt and dissembling. Um, I do know for sure that what I am not is either of my two co-hosts this week. I am neither, first of all, joined again by the voice of filth and reason herself, Alice Fraser. Thank you, Andy. I'm putting that on my next poster. (laughs) Uh, Nor am I, and I'm equally confident of this, coming to you live from Mumbai, as is Anuvan Pal. Hello, Andy. I'm happy to report that uh, you are indeed currently not me. (laughs) Oh, good. Glad we've cleared, we've cleared that up. Let's narrow it down. <laughs> I mean, how's, uh, how's India? Well, Andy, Alice, hello. hello. Things are well. Um, we have a massive election coming up. A billion people are going to vote in the month of May. So election campaigning has started. And uh, a lot of politicians, to get people's votes, just give away stuff for free, Andy. They give away air conditioners, refrigerators, <laughs> microwaves. And I was going to suggest if that would be useful to get Brexit people to vote <laughs> and influence the vote in any way. These are just, you know, again, just like Eastern medicine, these are just Eastern politics that I'm hoping <laughs> catches on in the West. Well, I guess that is that's preferable to, you know, to offer people something physical and concrete rather than offering them a, uh, a, a, a fantastical pipe dream. But why would they ever offer you a real fridge when they can offer you the ho- hope of a fridge in the future that will never arrive? <laughs> oh, democracy, you old tease. <laughs> it is the 22nd of February 2019, meaning it is the 222nd anniversary of the last invasion of Britain, the last time a hostile foreign force landed on British soil uh, that's disagreed with by some uh, right-wing tabloids <laughs> who seem to think there is uh, an invasion on an almost daily basis. But the last official invasion of Britain, 1797, resulted in the Battle of Fishguard. There was a planned three-prong attack uh, by the French. That turned into a one-prong, not-so-much attack as brief outbreak of looting, uh, two-day low-level scrimmage and then surrender and the end. In terms of violence... It was on a level with three drunken uncles at a wedding arguing over who gets the last profiterole. The French invasion force quickly (laughs) surrendered and wandered off with a least competent invasion award, a certificate for advanced half-arsery, brackets military, and the sense that Britain would never truly ever trust anything coming from the (laughs) continent ever again. The MVP of the Battle of Fishguard, Jemima Nicholas, 47 years old, who, armed only with a pitchfork, rounded up 12 French soldiers, who then swiftly surrendered. Super piece of invasion <laughs> spiking from uh, Jemima. To give some context, these French soldiers were apparently paralytically drunk and <laughs> surrendered in the pub. <laughs> Why can't all wars be like that? <laughs> <laughs> the Royal Oak. Are it, you sure it was an invasion and they didn't just get turned around in the channel and think they were coming home? <laughs> it's possible. Uh, the terms of surrender included giving up invading Britain, no next dibs on the pool table in the Royal Oak, don't clean out the quiz machine, and a two-drink minimum for all invading French soldiers for the next <laughs> hundred years. Uh, also, today is the anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. 
Which miracle on ice? Oh, well, well, I'll give you a multiple choice quiz since you ask, Alice. And Anuvab, you can chip in on this uh, as well. What was the miracle on ice? And on the 22nd of February of which year did it take place? Was it A, in 1931, when J. Bramett Forkling, the Canadian Emeritus Professor of Messianology at the University of Labrador, demonstrated <laughs> how Jesus could at least have walked on frozen water by walking across a frozen lake on Baffin Island in February? <laughs> uh, not all the locals believed it, of course. They were having none of it. Uh, they were having none of it? Yeah, we got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, we just hoped if we yeah. ignored it, you'd stop. Yeah. Uh, well, I did kind of suspect uh, we'd get that reaction. In knew it. In oh, it. Well, no. Um, and what's the miracle on ice? B, 1994, a book of academic writings by the Hungarian Nobel Prize winning philosopher Mira Kuhl concerning the deeper <laughs> meanings of the early works of the rapper Ice T. Was the miracle on ice... Uh, in 2002, a really awesome cocktail made by 18-year-old Percival Crimp at a house party in which he raided his parents' booze cupboard and blended some cheap Latvian whiskey, a can of cider, eight years past its best before date that had fallen over behind a bottle of bacon-flavoured tequila at the back of that booze cabinet, with some cornflakes, some whipped cream, a gherkin and some deep-heat muscle rub. <laughs> the resulting concoction uh, caused Crimp uh, to ask Kimberly Scroffins out on a date and she said yes to everyone's surprise and the cocktail was given its Miracle on Ice name. Although uh, Kimberly and uh, Percival never went on that date and it later transpired that she had not even been at the party and Crimp <laughs> had in fact propositioned a portrait painting of his great-aunt Meredith who, to be fair, was a bit of a looker back in the 1930s. <laughs> or was the Miracle on Ice D in 1980 when the USA beat the mighty Soviet Union in ice hockey at the Winter Olympics? The amateur American team made up of young college students, a couple of competition prize winners who'd sent in pictures of polar bears playing uh, ice hockey. Uh, also uh, in the squad, a cleaner from the venue who just wandered into the team room at the wrong time and ended up playing 22 minutes of the match for the uh, American team. And uh, President Jimmy Carter. Of course, it's a little-known fact that American presidents can not only give pardons to criminals, but uh, can also select themselves for national teams in any Olympics. And uh, as, well as, uh, as well as him, Marlon Brando was in the squad researching for a forthcoming role in the film Puck Invaders 2, Alien Hockey Mayhem. Uh, the Soviet <laughs> team, of course, made up of the leading ice hockey players from the communist world in 1980, four-time reigning Olympic champion. Champions, the uh, the the, uh, the Red Machine uh, included not only some great hockey players, but also a crack division of the Red Army, including four PT-76 amphibious tanks and the former Communist Revolution star Lenin as a dressing room motivational corpse. But uh, despite this, America won 4-3 thanks to two third-period <laughs> goals. Um, and also by being supported by the combined forces of democratic justice against the skewed, broken, hypocritical, pseudo-Marxist autocracy of the USSR, <laughs> causing wild scenes of celebration reminiscent of when the Stretton Redhawk came from three down with 12 minutes to go against the London Raiders back in November of 2018 to take it to overtime <laughs> and win on a shootout. Surely one of the greatest upsets in sports history. Uh, the Stretton one, or the American one, I forget. Uh, today is also World Thinking Wait, Day. was it a quiz? Oh, it, it, was, was a it was quiz. definitely a question, yeah. It was yeah. definitely a quiz, yeah. Uh, no, I've forgotten the quiz. <laughs> All right, it was which of those was the, was the Miracle on Ice, 22nd which, of February? There you go. Answers on a post. It was all of them. All of them. All of them are true. <laughs> Especially the last one. Uh, Did you forget halfway through writing that, as I forgot halfway through listening to that, (laughs) that it was a quiz? Well, what is a quiz? (laughs) Even though it was, you know, D, the game between the Russians and the Americans, the world would have been a much better place if it was B, an author (laughs) called Miracle, writing a book on the rapper Ice-T. And its subsequent sequel... I wonder if it would be called just Frozen. <laughs> um, it, it's sad that it's not that. Well, yeah. But then again, you know, is, is life just not, you know, a quiz in which you never really find the answer? So, 
Who are we blaming here? Me or reality? <laughs> it's who we're blaming here, the first question. <laughs> I mean, again, that is, a very, that is basically the fundamental question driving all of global politics right now. That's what happens in this show. We just accidentally satirise the nature of existence through our incompetent writing. Um, today is also World Thinking Day. Um, we would encourage you to boycott this evil institution. Uh, thinking could undermine Brexit, it could lead to an irreparable breakdown in uh, trust in democracy, could cause markets splattering doubts about whether unfettered capitalism is really the most sensible way to run the planet. So please do not succumb to the temptation to think about what the f*** we've done to this planet over the last 5,000 years. The whole edifice could come crashing down. As always, a section of the Bugle is going uh, straight in the bin. This week, uh, we look at uh, social media as more and more people, and indeed some celebrities who are like people but different, <laughs> although they do share over 85% of the same DNA. Uh, people and celebrities are ditching social media platforms such as Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, Ephemero, which is the one-second thought platform, uh, Transients, um, which is the hit forgettable entertainment platform in which creators can post songs, films, poems and various other influencerials uh, requiring a maximum of two discernible thought processes to compute, which naturally fade from the audience's mind within six seconds. Um, <laughs> also, people have been boycotting uh, insignificant in which uh, celebs post uninteresting observations, contactless aphorisms and post endorsement photographs. The uh, insignificant uh, page stroke app then uh, sends a fax to the celebs' followers telling them that their <laughs> hero has posted something, but not what it is that they've posted. The followers then wonder what it was for a couple of seconds and then get on with their lives. So uh, it has been a tough time for, uh, for platforms uh, such as this, according to a new report by the social media app Exaggerate, which translates things that are at least partially true into widely overstated claims masquerading as fact, which has claimed that uh, platforms like Instagram and Twitter are being uh, abandoned by people in their trillions. Uh, and we also ask, should you give up listening to podcasts? No, no, please, please, please <laughs> do, not, do not do that, particularly not now at this time where the Bugle is going independent. Now, uh, we will have a full relaunch episode uh, in March uh, and a new season. I think it'll, it'll be season five, Chris, of the Bugle, or is it season six? I mean, I, I don't even know like what number you want to call this this new season, right? right? I mean, we're currently on season four, right? I think it's season four. So yeah, season... but what about all the episodes in between? Like, all the episodes that from about 300 onwards, well, where are they? Season one was the first four years at the Times. Season two was the uh, voluntary subscription years. <laughs> season three was one episode long. <laughs> and I think season, season four was the current season since October 2017. So I think well, we so to... this is going to back to independent donations, yeah. which It'll means season it's two... season two, part two. Two B. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. Right. So season two B, which follows season four. Yeah. I mean, th that two... makes as much sense as your item that went in the bin today. Two B or not two B, we will see. <laughs> see <laughs> season oh two returns. Uh, anyway. We need to workshop this. We do need to workshop this uh, and indeed many other things. But uh, you can already <laughs> contribute to the future of The Bugle by going to thebuglepodcast.com and clicking the donate button. Uh, yes, we are essentially uh, relaunching uh, a new improved voluntary subscription scheme. There are various options uh, for you uh, there. So if you uh, can and want to support uh, this uh, podcast, please do so and hopefully it will catapult The Bugle into a glorious new independent future. So go to thebuglepodcast.com and click donate. 
top story private moon mission in Moon Jews News now. <laughs> a team of Israeli scientists will launch the first privately funded moon mission, sending a spacecraft to collect data from the lunar surface. Uh, the robotic lander is called Bereshit. Is it a Hebrew word meaning Genesis, Andy? Does a Bereshit in the woods? Of course, it is a Hebrew word meaning Genesis. <laughs> Propelled by you, one. You didn't need me to, 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 to tell me that, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> Propelled by one of Elon Musk's SpaceX Falcon 9 rockets, it will measure the magnetic field of the moon, and uh, will also. Always, I've always been wondering what that was, actually. <laughs> Glad someone's going to be able to clear that up. Um, a number of times I've just been up in the middle of the night thinking, I wonder what the magnetic force of the moon is. <laughs> just desperately holding up a fridge magnet and trying to feel it in yeah. your fingertips. Never quite sticks. <laughs> Uh, the uh, space thing, Bereshit, will also deposit a time capsule of digital files the size of coins containing the Bible, children's drawing, Israel's national anthem and flag, as well as memories of a Holocaust survivor, making it a full round of bullshit bingo for both anti-Semites, Holocaust deniers, moon landing sceptics and flat earthers. <laughs> Um, oh, it's very exciting uh, this because they are hoping to find out a number of uh, a number of. Th- I mean, just quickly, the, the the logistics of it are quite interesting. The uh, the route is going to take uh, the lander module is going to be put in the freight hold of an Airbus three hundred and eighty from Tel Aviv Airport direct to <laughs> Dallas, and then transported on a pickup to the studio where they film these things with their special fluttery <laughs> flags. So, uh, hopefully, the doctored film should be up online by the middle of next week. So they're hoping to find out. Uh, from this expedition, uh, is the moon actually a fully farmable arable paradise <laughs> covered in a temporary shell casing, making it look like a useless rock of no particular relevance to humanity? Um, and also, is the moon kosher? Uh, Not if they take meat up there. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean it's dairy, does it? What, Isn't the, the moon made of cheese? Wasn't that a well, thing? Well, I mean, I guess... That was a thing, but whether it's a true thing or not, I think there's probably a loophole on that. We won't I know until you... it's on a bagel, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Never a truer word said. Now, Andy, Alice, I have a quick question about this. Uh, it centres around just rich people doing things in space. Um, now, I know this is a <laughs> private mission, and I know that Jeff Bezos has a thing called Blue Origin where he sends stuff up in space. And, and I have a side ambition where... Um, I'm kind of obsessed with rich people's hobbies. And I looked up a particular Middle Eastern prince who was obsessed with making exotic pets make love to each other to see what would happen. Um, (laughs) He made an emu and a giraffe mate just to see what would happen. And I feel that... And I have no no record of what happened uh, because I didn't speak to the emu or the giraffe. But... um, I do know that rich people now in America, and I assume in Israel, are obsessed with just sending things up to space. Now, if I was an alien, Alice, <laughs> and, and I, I just started seeing stuff just go up there, I would think that was just another rich, spoiled brat who invented TikTok or something. You know? <laughs> I, I, don't know how, I don't know why. I just want to know how you guys feel about the rich, private people being obsessed with space. Well, I mean, it's just all part of humanity's escape strategy, isn't it? Because clearly we're, yeah, we're busy f***ing this planet up. So if you can, we can stick a rocket on the moon. Yeah, Annabelle, from a particular perspective, this is just rich people seeing what you can get to f*** another thing. Uh, and it's gone from uh, f***ing poor people to seeing if you can f*** the stars. <laughs> uh, also, the, they will be looking for uh, any further proof that God uh, might have promised... Uh, the moon to uh, my team 
as well, um, hoping to find some sign of God in the moon dust that showed that he'd marked out the renowned orb for his uh, uh, us, his, uh, his chosen people. So it could be, could be very exciting, that. A whole new promised satellite. In other, uh, well, tangentially related, I guess, waiting for the Messiah news, uh, a fish could be Jesus. Um, <laughs> scientists have found that a Scottish stickleback fish had a virgin birth. Uh, they've named the fish Mary, uh, after the uh, mother of uh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, for those of you who haven't heard of him, a prominent uh, turn-of-the-first millennium Middle East space magician and raconteur, of course. Um <laughs> Apparently this fish fertilised its own eggs internally in a, an absolute first for stickleback, stickleback reproduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus, of course, uh, was in his time one of the top-ranked messiahs, although the rankings, I think, were done like tennis rankings, so they only counted your miracles and your parables in the last 12 months, all weighted equally, which is kind of ridiculous. I don't know why they don't do it more like golf, where it decays over two <laughs> years, so it's more weighted to the recent miracles than the <laughs> parables. So the problem is your feeding of the 5,000, your wedding at Cana, turning water into wine, that kind of stuff. Great for a year, then suddenly worth nothing. To me, it skews the whole notion of how messianic mm-hmm. you can judge someone to be. But look, I, I digress. Anyway, <laughs> Scottish... Um, they would collect the, the way they discovered this. They were collecting fish. Uh, these scientists uh, during a scheme to do the genome sequencing of sticklebacks, because, well, you have to, don't you? I mean, you've got to know the gen- <laughs> genome sequence of a stickleback. Otherwise, otherwise, what's the point? And <laughs> and hopefully they'll be able to then pinpoint why it is that us and sticklebacks are so different from each other. <laughs> why is it that we can't breathe underwater? And they can't play cribbage or build functioning medieval <laughs> castles. So uh, hopefully the uh, gene, uh, genome sequencing will uh, reveal reveal all that. So this fish, Mary, Mary the, the stickleback, mm-hmm. delivered her stickle nippers by caesarean section. That's the problem with fish today, two posh to push. <laughs> and uh, 54 bouncing, well, sploshing baby sticklebacks. Miracle baby fishes, Alice. Miracle baby fishes. It does cast some light on how Jesus did do the multiplying of the fishes situation <laughs> himself. <laughs> if internal fertilisation was part of that, I don't think anyone would have wanted to eat however many fish there were. <laughs> oh, no, no, I've had plenty. <laughs> Uh, 20 of these 54 fish are still alive. It's not clear whether any of the remaining 34 have been betrayed by their buddies <laughs> and crucified. <laughs> Very hard to tell with fish. Um, a scientist said we couldn't believe it when we found she had completely developed embryos inside her ovaries. Pretty much unheard of, say the scientists. I mean, there's a lot of questions that have been yes. raised by this story, I think. First of all, how would you have heard of it if it happened before? Because fish don't talk. That's very famously their thing. That's why you send right. people to sleep with them. Yeah. Because they're very discreet. <laughs> fish don't talk, hips don't lie. Two of the <laughs> eternal truths of, of life. Alice, Andy, my question is very simple. Would this affect the dating scene in the high seas? I don't know much about the dating scene in the in the high seas. It's been a while. <laughs> It's relatively fruitful, Andy. There's always more fish. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> but I, I mean, it could do, really, couldn't it? If, uh, I mean, it could lead to I mean, a real kind of gender war. And then, what, I mean, what a, what a male fish going to do? I'd just be, you know, footloose, fancy-free. Do they have feet? Can you be footloose without a foot? <laughs> um... Other questions, was this really the coming of the piss guy in Jesus? <laughs> if so, could a fish messiah actually be more effective than a human messiah? <laughs> um, and also, 
how disappointed should I be as an English Jew mm -hmm. who isn't very good at swimming that it seems that the Messiah is a f***ing stickleback fish from Scotland? <laughs> fair, fair point, but think about this. How many Messiahs can go in and out of a jet stream? <laughs> well, again, it's one of the eternal questions of life. <laughs> People are asking a lot of questions in this episode, and yeah. I'm not sure you really want answers to them. Like, how, many <laughs> how many pharaohs does it take to change a light bulb? How many? <laughs> what? I thought you had an answer. No, I don't. Just that's what I want to know. Well, I imagine they delegate. <laughs> they don't, and don't seem averse to a prolonged period in a darkened room. One to do it, the other to claim the monument and carve their name over the other one's face. <laughs> In uh, other um, natural world news, um, more f***ing disgusting insect <laughs> news, uh, following on from last week's um, disgusting insect news uh, section, the world's largest bee has been discovered, uh, rediscovered in fact, people thought it had gone extinct, they hasn't been seen for uh, almost four decades, the bee is called the Megachild Pluto. <laughs> also known as Wallace's Giant Bee, also known as Big Stingy Buzz Buzz. That's an Australian <laughs> name. Keep it simple. Uh, also known as the Honey Hercules, the Six-Legged Shitbag, and the Pollen-Pounding Bastard Bug, and the B-Rex. Um, it's been uh, rediscovered, this. It's absolutely vast. It clocks in at uh, almost four centimetres long, which is way too big uh, for a bee in, uh, in my book. It's as big as a human thumb. Also, like a human thumb, it's not what you want poking out of your sausage sandwich at a picnic. <laughs> um, <laughs> crucially, it's got six more legs and one more. Or wrist. up your butt. <laughs> Both interesting places. I mean, you didn't need to say that, Alice. <laughs> but I did anyway. <laughs> Have you seen the picture of this big bee? The, uh, yeah. It's pretty big, but it's not as big as I thought it would be when people were telling me that the biggest bee had been found. Like, right. it's big for a bee, but it's not as big as that big cow. Remember the big cow? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's obviously smaller than that cow, <laughs> but technically it's probably a bigger bee for a bee than that cow was big for a cow compared to other cows. <laughs> I expect to be more impressed, that's what I'm saying. Right. I mean, I think I'd be pretty impressed if I saw it in, <laughs> in person. Um Crucially, to return to the comparison with the human thumb, it has six more legs and one more sting than the average thumb and is less likely to get you a free ride in someone's car if you hitchhike by waggling it at passing drivers. Um, much more effective, uh, sorry, much less effective than the human thumb unless that thumb is severed, which is in many ways the worst way to hitchhike. Um, compared with a regular bee, it's almost three times as long uh, and the lady megachild Pluto... <laughs> or I think the Megachild Dean of the da Daxon, technically, for Disney fans, <laughs> or the uh, Megachild Persephone for uh, classical mythology fans. Um, uh, she She's the big one, four, almost four centimetres in bee length. Uh, male versions are much shorter. The PC Brigade have finally got their way. <laughs> it has jaws, according to the 19th century uh, naturalist Alfred Wallace, like, quotes, an industrial-level robot mega shark <laughs> yeah. chomp you up like a frankfurter and gob you into a bucket a normal bee weighs only 1.1 grams whereas the mega child pluto can weigh none of your business you've already length shamed the lady mega child bee don't start banging on about its weight let it be the bee it wants to be uh, and in terms of wingspan more than a housefly less than a lancaster bomber but still f***ing big for a bee <laughs> Uh, in, in more discovering of all creatures big and tiny, uh, the fossilised remains of a proto-T-Rex has been found in Utah. 
It's about the size of a donkey. Uh, it's a tiny dinosaur, or tinosaur, as I shall now call it. It stood around three to four feet tall at the hip and lived 15 million years before the big T-Rexes and has been named Moros Intrepidus, meaning harbinger of doom, uh, which reminds me of my niece-in-law, who is extremely big for her one and a half years of age, but very small for an actual human. But she keeps getting in trouble for going into the infant area during daycare nap time and trying to hug the babies like a miniature Godzilla. Um, but imagine being a tiny T-Rex. It'd be like being one of those small dogs that you see in the city. You think they're the same amount of dog as a big dog, but clearly aren't. Uh, Dr. Lindsay Zano, who's a paleontologist at the North Carolina State University, has said, when and how quickly tyrannosaurs went from wallflower to prom king has been vexing paleontologists for a long time, which says a lot about how unpopular most paleontologists were during their high school years, <laughs> without shedding any light on the answers at all. Imagining a high school prom full of dinosaurs... It would be even more carnage than an actual high school prom, which from American movies looks like a really stressful nexus of narrative-driven coming-of-age character arcs and date rape. You know, Alice, I think that this is the kind of T-Rex that will definitely display fascist tendencies. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you going to explain, you know, give a little put a more flesh on those long fossilised bones? <laughs> they can't do the Hitler salute. They've got tiny arms. <laughs> <laughs> in other uh, giant versions of animals that are not actually extinct news now uh, more exciting news a living member of a species of tortoise not seen in over a hundred years and thought to be extinct has been found in the Galapagos Islands the species is known as the Chelonoidus fantasticus which is also a medical condition suffered by 30% <laughs> of all popes it's a, a rash caused by chafing of an unwashed chasuble <laughs> so giant tortoises are back Giant bees are back. If this does not convince you that the apocalypse is coming, wait until you see the size of the pussycat they found in the lion enclosure of Windsor for Safari Park last week. <laughs> There's a lot of talk in the papers about insects dying off, and if insects die off, all of humanity apparently dies off. So maybe they're evolving into one big insect. And then, which raises the question, is one big thing of something better than many small things of the same thing? Oh. Well, that, I mean, that, that's, that's run and run through through history that yes when it comes to Toblerones <laughs> <laughs> well we've uh, clearly deliberately avoided this for this show so far by banging on about moon landings and massive bees but it's time now to turn our attention reluctantly to uh, to Brexit once again the inescapable shit on our national dinner plate here in Britain and time the insufferable little bastard that it is is inflexibly rumbling on and on, despite the fact that we in Britain, we could seriously do with time slowing down at the very least, ideally stopping for a while <laughs> to uh, let us get our national shit together, or even more ideally going backwards so that we, we can have another go at stuff. Not not that far backwards for any of our ardent Jacob Rees-Mogg supporting hard Brexit <laughs> rebuild the empire type buglers. Maybe just four years or so so we can inject David Cameron with a special serum that makes him immune to the temptation to hold ill-defined high-risk referendums in an effort to shore up his personal political <laughs> power base in a traditionally sclerotically divided Tory party. If you want to know what's been going on this week, in the uh, Brexit legislator negotiatory dead lineac situation. <laughs> Just listen to the Brexit bit from any bugle from the last two years <laughs> and imagine that with a heightened sense of panic, disillusionment, stroppiness and embafflement. Uh, more votes in Parliament are I imminent. The days are ticking down until the government officially launches its new Cliff Edges of Fun slogan. And the ghost of King Arthur is uh, due to emerge at some point next week from his fictional grave and ram Excalibur back into a stone while saying, I'm done with this place <laughs> and this week we've seen uh, 
the party system is starting to crumble. Seven Labour MPs splat from the Labour Party uh, in protest at Jeremy Corbyn's uh, Brexit stance, which, uh, in case you've not been following it, uh, is, uh, yeah, uh, I think, look, uh, uh, definitely, uh, let's give it another couple of weeks. Um, and also due to anti-Semitism within the Labour Party, including Chukka Ramona, my, uh, my local MP, he's, uh, he's splat from Labour. Uh, then three Conservative MPs splat from the Conservative Party. Then one more Labour MP splat from Labour. And another Labour MP, he splat, but not to join the new Alliance of Independent MPs made up of the other ones who already splitted stroke splat off. Vive <laughs> la Révolution Britannique. <laughs> this is an indecisive revolt in response to an era of indecision precipitated by an indecisive decision in the referendum. They are literally trembling in Downing Street. Um, well, I mean, they're doing that anyway, all the time. This might have added a slight extra tremble. What it essentially is, is a slow, pathetic fragmentation of a party system that is not so much ripe for change as ripened, fallen off the tree, mulched down, rotten and decayed for change. Where will it all end? Ah, oh, I don't f***ing know. <laughs> 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 Frankly, our system is clearly as nuts as it can possibly get without being America or indeed many other countries. <laughs> is it possible that enough people will rebel against their own party so that the number of independents is actually larger than the number of people in both the parties right now. <laughs> it's possible, but at the current rate, I think that would take about eight years. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, as revolutions go, it's pretty low-key, isn't it? It's not... You know, they're not exactly chained themselves to the Houses of Parliament dressed as giant courgettes like in the old days. <laughs> Well, you know, in all this depressing news, and Alice, I can report from my corner of the world, there is one place I know that still loves Britain. Oh, right. Uh, it's a restaurant in South Mumbai, and it's a restaurant that you've probably been to, Andy. It's called Britannia. Oh, yes. Very, <laughs> Indian, very Indian name, Britannia. Yeah. And its owner has, for the last 70 years, refused to be part of the Indian Union. <laughs> <laughs> he flies the British flag. There's a photograph of your queen <laughs> and most of the time often refuses to speak to any customer in the local language. <laughs> <laughs> really carrying on the British traditions there. <laughs> he really is. He really is, Alice. And I think in all this bad news, I just thought, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd throw out from a far-flung corner of the, of the, of the former empire. There, is, there are people that, that miss the old days. <laughs> news Andy um, we've all been here so I just wanted to report it <laughs> NDTV uh, one of our main news channels reported about three weeks ago that a man accidentally drove his car onto a cricket field <laughs> claimed he was lost and that he'd taken a wrong turn now I just want to know what you guys think of this I mean we've all been here Andy um, I know you know suddenly you may have taken a left in London and suddenly you're on the Lord's Bridge in the middle of the ashes um, <laughs> Apparently, this was a news item here. I do not know why. Uh, leading cricketers complained that a small Hyundai wagon R drove straight under the pitch asking for directions. <laughs> and I mean, this is this was not just an ordinary club game where I mean, in fact, that can happen all the time, given that the demarcation between road and cricket field in India is much more blurred than it tends to be here. This was a Ranji trophy game, the kind of professional level of Indian domestic cricket featuring a number of stars from the Indian <laughs> Indian national team and there was a car not only that was driven onto the uh, 
onto the, the playing surface, but right into the middle, onto the, the pitch where the, the game is played, which needs to be protected <laughs> at all costs. They get stroppy about human beings running on the pitch because it could damage the surface. It's a huge part of cricket. This guy has driven his car onto the actual pitch <laughs> of this, this cricket ground. <laughs> and I mean, presumably it's one thing to drive, accidentally drive into a cricket ground. I mean, mistakes are made. But to then, to then think, oh, look at all those guys in the middle. I'll just drive up to them and I'll ask them if they There's know There's only the one place here that looks like a parking spot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, guys, look, when your Google Maps is not working, you've got to ask someone for directions. Why not the wicketkeeper? <laughs> <laughs> the BCCI acting president, CK Khanna, told... PTI, this is a breach of security measures at the Services Sports Control Board ground. Imagine if any, if the man had had any sinister motive, then lives of international cricketers could have been in danger. Imagine, though, instead of sinister motives, he had a car full of balloons. <laughs> then lots of international cricketers could have had a fun balloon party. But what if we imagine instead that he was nude, covered in chocolate spread and sprinkles with disapproving pictures of his own frowning face pasted over his nips and dongles? <laughs> then the lives of international cricketers could have been full of confusion. <laughs> this kind of speculation helps nobody. <laughs> Alice, I think you've just revived the Ranji Trophy cricket tournament with just that one suggestion. <laughs> Nips and dongles, the most harrowing kids' cartoon I've ever seen. <laughs> and very quickly, in other Indian news, Andy. <clears throat> Again, Alice, Andy, we've all been here. Um, an Indian man, a man in Mumbai, uh, this is on the BBC, sued his parents for giving birth <laughs> to him. <laughs> Look. Both his parents? Seems a bit harsh on the dad. <laughs> I guess they were both involved in, in the whole process. And it raises a valuable philosophical question that man has been trying to answer for millennia. Who are we and what are we doing here? Right? <laughs> and he's answered it by saying, we are forced into a habitat non-consensually and then made to litigate. I mean, <laughs> I get so his bad. outrage, Anubab. None of us want to contemplate the uncomfortable reality that for most of us, we are the residual byproduct of a time our parents literally had naked sex with each other. <laughs> It's hard to look at yourself in the mirror when all you can see is that we are in ourselves a constant inescapable reminder of the erotic vignette of sweaty procreative parental coitus. It's why women wear makeup. <laughs> Alice, I'm worried. Have you been talking to this guy? <laughs> But it, his parents were both lawyers, so this is going to be a tough case for him to win, albeit it does maybe justify why he's suing them. I think he should sue them for making him into such an asshole. <laughs> the, uh, I mean, he, he raised a lot of, lot of uh, sort of interesting points in his <laughs> affidavit. He said, uh, why should I suffer? Why must I be stuck in traffic? Why must I work? Why must I face wars? Why must I feel pain? Why should I do anything when I don't want to? Many questions, one answer. Someone had me for their pleasure. <laughs> oh, it's really drilling down into the very heart of the human condition, as you said. I have a feeling whatever ruling the judge passes on this, he's going to go back and maybe sue his own parents. And I'm <laughs> this is a rabbit hole. Where does this end? Um, yeah, I mean, it could set an extremely dangerous legal precedent. I mean, it's the nanny state gone mad, hasn't it? The, the going to the courts to complain about choices your parents have made instead of doing what people who hate their parents used to do, which is marry someone they disapprove of and then wait for them to get old and ship them off to an old folks' home with deliberately <laughs> ugly carpets. <laughs> Deal with your problems yourself, mate. 
I think you may just have described India, Alice. <laughs> described the lives of a billion people. Um, in my last India story, Alice Andy, it's a question. It's a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I'm the BBC. A Indian Rail Minister, the Minister of Railways, has just launched a train. It, he claims it's India's fastest train. It's called the Vande Bharat Express. And to show the world that he's launched this fast train, he put up a two-minute clip of it on Twitter. And immediately, Twitter trolls pointed out that the train was not fast, but the footage was at 2x speed. (laughs) Which raises again an important philosophical question for you guys. Is being fast as important as looking fast? (laughs) (laughs) Not in today's world. It's all about appearances, about perception. Yeah, you can't really hold him accountable for using technology to make something look a little more impressive than it actually is in this era of social media filters. Show me someone who would willingly select and send the accurate, if depressing, dick pic instead of the one where it looks as much as possible like a looming monument to the might of the ages of man, and I will show you a liar. Well, it's, it's good that you know, government ministers in India are taking the philosophy of the dick pic into, <laughs> into top-level politics. And, Alice, this is probably the first time that a dick pic has been compared to Hellenic Greece. <laughs> Rome. Well, they, were, they, were not, they were not afraid of the dick pic. Ancient Greece, they put it on their vases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, it's not the first time this has happened. If you look at any black and white footage from the early 20th century, <laughs> obviously people speeding it up to make it look like well, they were busier than they actually were. <laughs> this this is the thing, guys. This is the thing. Perhaps Indian Railway Minister Piyush Goel is a huge Buster Keaton fan. <laughs> we don't know. Um, I'm happy to report that subsequently India's fastest train has had a few roadblocks. Um, it broke down on two of its first two runs. Uh, the first time people threw stones at it. I don't know why. And the second time it hit cattle. Uh, and the third time uh, there was a person crossing with a motorbike um, and he saw this really fast train coming. This was somewhere in the state of Uttar Pradesh that the train covers. He saw the train he abandoned his motorbike and ran. (laughs) (laughs) And perhaps it raises important questions in our democracy which is there is a reason our trains go slowly. (laughs) (laughs) I have an India story as well uh, Anavab. Fantastic! Uh, which you sent through, so it's your story. Um, but the officials have caused an environmentalism kerfuffle in India by beginning to remove hundreds of crocodiles from the site of the world's largest statue, which I love. They're being relocated to allow for a seaplane service to carry tourists to the Statue of Unity, which is impressive because it's a 597 foot tall, twice the size of the Statue of Liberty, and was also apparently built smack bang in the middle of a mass of live crocodiles, which makes it quite the feat. <laughs> The authorities are worried that hundreds of crocodiles will interfere with the new tourist seaplane that hopes to ferry people in to see the statue, and I think this is a situation where they need to take note of the obvious signs, bow to the inevitable, and install an evil supervillain in the giant statue that's surrounded by... It's a giant statue surrounded by f***ing crocodiles. That is not just the natural environment of crocodiles, it's also the natural environment of someone with plans to shoot the moon. Do, do we know, though, that they built this statue in the middle of a crocodile swamp, or... Did they build the statue and then the crocodiles came to see what all the fuss was about? 
Now, I'm glad you guys brought this up because Vallabhai Patel, whose statue this is, was a noted Indian freedom fighter, India's first defense minister. He was many things, but he was not a Bond villain. <laughs> was he a crocodile uh, fan? I think he may have liked reptiles. He may have liked reptiles. And there is a big revival of Vallabhai Patel in India because he was a big patriot. He started India's first independent army. People love him. So a lot of associations with patriotism. But again, in India... We ask questions that have never been asked in the world, which is patriotism or reptiles. <laughs> what a game show that would be. <laughs> well, uh, that brings us to the end of this week's Bugle. Thank you very much uh, for listening. Don't forget the Bugle Live Tour of the USA begins on Tuesday in uh, Brooklyn. Then Wednesday in Washington, D.C., an extra show has been added uh, in Washington, uh, so please do come along to that. Uh, Then ten other cities over the following two weeks, by which time I will be even more tired than I am now. And bear in mind now, I've just had six consecutive mornings in which I've had to get up at 5.30am to take my son to a half-term uh, half term camp and my entire adult and working life has been dedicated to not having to get up at 5.30 in the morning <laughs> something has gone horribly wrong so the American tour will feature Alice Fraser um, on screen on screen via Skype via Skype um, and uh, we have a couple of other uh, live guests uh, new new bugle uh, guests during uh, during the tour so do come along to all of those shows details on the bugle website and elsewhere on the internet and don't forget if you want to contribute financially to the future of the bugle we are uh, going independent relaunching the voluntary subscription scheme go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button and your support will be enormously gratefully well that sentence has hailed off because <laughs> you're trying to be sincere Andy. Oh, no, it doesn't it doesn't come easily to me um <laughs> and all your uh, all your contributions will be uh, will be gratefully received and uh, spent on uh, sports memorabilia. Uh, sorry, the, uh, the future uh, health and uh, continuing existence of the show. Until next week, buglers. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye bye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>